Welcome back to another episode of the DH Effect, the Decided Heart Effect, where every week we pledge to having a decided heart, and it's through taking personal ownership, building high trust relationships, and creating a place of belonging. This is what we call the Decided Heart Effect. My name is Sonia Montiel, and I am here with my amazing co-host, Hilary Bilbrey, and we are back again with Laverne Gordon, the founder of Love Life Now and the author of her new book, The Legacy He Left Me. Welcome back, Laverne. Thank you for having me again. I'm so excited. (laughs) We are too. We had to have you back for a part two because in our last episode, 59, you shared some really vulnerable and powerful experiences with your own domestic violence experience. And we sort of closed this conversation. We were starting to come into this moment where you embraced your confidence by you won the uh, Miss Ethnic New England pageant. Yes. So we were, you're starting this triumph. What then moved you into this space and, and tell us about love life now and the work you now do to help not only with awareness and prevention, but to help domestic violence survivors. Yeah, that's a great question. And yes, I love where we left off prior because it was the beginning of the light, experiencing the light and what that looked like for me at that time. And so, yeah, I won. I took part in this local beauty pageant. Some friends had dared me um, and I ended up winning. And that meant I had to go on to nationals to participate in the LA part of the competition and ended up winning there too. So now I have these two titles and had to pick a platform um, to advocate for. And domestic violence was an easy choice given my history with the issue, as you heard, like, as you said, in episode 59. And I just, you know, at the that point, it was because now I was on the other side of things, now looking at it from a survivor standpoint and questioning some of the things that happened to me towards the end of the relationship. So how did I not know about domestic violence resources at the end of um, that, that, you know, when I escaped? Why was I so hesitant to seek for help um, and, and, you know, questioning what that potentially could look like. I wanted to know more about these things so that I could then pass it on to people in my community, which was a predominantly Black community at the time. And I, you know, I just, I couldn't understand why we didn't have access to these, to these resources. And maybe even if there were, there was access to the resources, why did we not know about it? Why didn't I know about it was my big question. And so I was curious. And so on top of that, I really wanted to do things to help the cause in general. So that meant starting initiatives that I thought were forward thinking enough to invite people to want to learn more about the issue itself. And not in a daunting way, not in a way that singled out you as a victim, a survivor, or a potential abuser. I just wanted people to just come out and be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those things started with a betting drive that I hosted at the corner of my pageant director's house. Um, It was a very busy street. And so I made up flyers and passed to all the people driving by um, to pass by the following weekend and drop off a new twin sheet and pillow. Um, that then turned into me wanting to do more. And that meant, okay, I've heard about walks for AIDS and cancer, never really heard of a walk for domestic violence. And maybe there had been ones prior. Um, I just wasn't privy to it. So I, I wanted to invite my community to do the same. So I did a 
walk, a one mile walk that raised funds for a domestic violence agency. Um, that particular year, I also learned about the White Ribbon Campaign, which is a nationwide campaign that asks more men to speak out against the issue of domestic violence. Oftentimes it's us as women that's advocating for this issue, but unfortunately 90% of the time, men are the perpetrators. And I wanted to know how I could invite men of color in my space to be part of this campaign. And so I invited folks um, in that community to come out to this library event that I held that had about three or four men that got up and spoke about the ways that they're being part of the solution every day and to encourage them, men and boys in the audience, to do the same. And so, you know, throughout that year, I just picked up on initiatives that I thought were, you know, would have resonated with me back then. And once the year was up with the with the title, the two titles for the, for the pageant, I knew I wasn't a pageant girl, but I really wanted to continue the work of awareness around this issue. And so that's where Love Life Now was formed um, the following year. People that said, if you started a nonprofit, it might make things, you know, might make the ask easier. Right. Um, and so I did that. And here we are 10 years later, still doing the initiatives. This November will be 10 years um, wow. that we've been around. Congratulations. I know we're both amazing. <laughs> doing the initiatives, but adding even more to it and ramping up. Yes, yes. We've ramped up everything that we did in that first year to make it more, um, you know, hefty enough on the awareness side, um, but also donating thousands of dollars to different domestic violence agencies that are really doing the frontline work of aiding victims of, and survivors of abuse. How do you find, you know, I love, I'm fascinated by the white ribbon pledge, I would think would be a very loaded sort of time as well, because you're, you're coming in and you're asking Matt, well, actually, why don't you, why don't you explain what the, the white ribbon pledge is? And then I'll have a follow-up question for you. Yeah, absolutely. So essentially it's, as I said, it's just, it's asking more men to be part of the solution. And, you know, the very short you know, piece that I typically, you know, have people say in my presence, men in my presence is from this day forward, I will no longer condone violence against women. And typically on the night of where we hold, it's now the, the community event that I mentioned, um, you know, the very first year turned into a gala. Mm -hmm. And so it's called the White Ribbon Night Gala. And we, you know, we, uh, you know, we invite men and women get all dressed up. There's a dinner. There's about, again, three to four male speakers that get up and talk about the ways that they're being part of the solution. And then at the end of the night, they get up and they recite the pledge in full. What I just said is a, a very tiny piece of the pledge. Um, but when women in the audience and even some men who are standing up there who have been victims themselves, and again, we're not pointing out or singling anybody out, but when people are in the audience and they hear from men, yeah men who are saying that they'll they'll support and be allies in this work whatever in whatever capacity that they can be whether it's just going back and talking to their sons their nephews their colleagues um the barbers that they sit down in the chair with every weekend about this issue just bringing it up and having a conversation so that they can be more aware when when women in the audience and men hear that i can tell you that it is the, it's no short um on emotion on that particular night, um, because it just, it resonates with everybody in the room. Again, a collective of men's voices saying that they will join us in being part of the solution is just 
huge because again, we can we can shout from the rooftops to stop killing us, to stop hurting us. Um, we're spinning our wheels if we don't involve men in this conversation because again, 90% of the time they are the perpetrators. It's so amazing to me and it is so powerful. I wonder, do you, how do you create this space of, of belonging and trust where, I mean, I could also imagine that there might be men who come into it and they might feel themselves attacked is too strong of a word, obviously, but like defensive of like, well, wait, I'm not part of the problem. I'm not part of this problem. How do you break that down? And do you find that, that you get a little bit of like a, hold on, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, you know, explaining um, that a big part of this, right, is the bystander approach, which I also do sometimes in talks that I hold um, Mm -hmm. with men in my space. And, you know, and, and having them understand that it's not you, it is a human issue. And if you can understand that and know that as a bystander, and I don't love the word bystander, I love the word upstander because you're not standing by and watching this happen, right? You are getting up and making, again, being part of the solution. So if, you know, I can get folks to understand, and I'm not going to get everybody in the room. And quite frankly, Mm -hmm. I'll be quite frank. And as with anybody in this this space, um, anybody can be a perpetrator and they'll be sitting in my space. Anybody can be, you know, a victim and sitting in my space. I'm not um, ignorant to that fact, Mm -hmm. but if the majority of folks in the room and even that person that may be the perpetrator that's sitting in my space can just hear me for a second, Mm -hmm. just begin to think about things because now, now you're not just, you've heard my story, right? You know, I'm not a threat. Um, you know, I'm on the other side of this trying to create change. Maybe that gets you thinking just a little bit. And that's all we need is to plant the seed, right? Um, regardless if it's, we're talking to the perpetrator or someone that is willing to be part of the work off the bat. So, um, I think that's one of the ways. And again, you know, explaining what that the white ribbon campaign is, is seeking to involve rather than to single out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's, I think the biggest draw with this campaign. Again, I didn't start it. It started in Canada um, after one man massacred 14 women simply because he didn't like women. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was femicide. Mm-hmm. And the campaign started shortly thereafter by men in Canada and it's quickly spread over to the United States. And it's now in many different countries. Um, but again, it won't it won't trickle down to the communities that need to hear it unless we continue to carry that message. So if I come into a space with a white ribbon or you know just talk about the campaign itself, again, it gets people at least thinking um, in that in that direction. So that's that's always my hope, Hillary. I love it. One thing that really caught us um, was during a book tour interview um, that we found on Facebook. So I went to catch her on Facebook. You said something that was just so powerful. You said there is life after abuse mm. and that can be beautiful. Yes. <laughs> Seriously, it can. <laughs> and um, thank you for, for, you know, viewing that. But yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of the times people think about the end of abuse and just surviving, right? Mm -hmm. If you get out, that's the biggest thing that you can do for yourself. Because oftentimes all you hear is get out, get out, get out, get yourself safe, get yourself safe. But what after that, right? Mm -hmm. Are you just here to survive, right? And I can even bring that in a broader scope. Are you just here to live, Mm -hmm. right? Um, 
are you living, right? And I think, you know, once you've experienced, I think any trauma, um, you know, do you just keep yourself in a space of just, you know, I just want to handle my triggers and I just want to handle, you know, not seeing that person ever again. And I just want to handle, you know, getting better mentally. Like what is there beyond that? Um, there's thriving. And that's what I believe wholeheartedly that I'm doing is not just surviving, I'm thriving. And in that realm, combining those words, sir thriving. Uh, yeah, and I'm a survivor. Yes. Right. Yes. I'm not just a survivor. I'm a survivor. Right. And so, you know, picking up not just, you know, mentally getting well, but really understanding what makes you take getting back to the business of you. One. Mm-hmm. Number two, like um, beyond getting back to the business of you, how can you make the space that you're in better, not just for you, for you, but for yourself, because giving back is half like that. Mm-hmm. That to me um, is m- our purpose as humans, how can we serve each other? Right. And if, if we're going religious with it or spiritual with it, right. Is when we talk about God, God, Jesus was here on earth to, you know, help others, right. It was to make other people's lives better. If we're going that route, but if you're not religious, if you're not spiritual, right. The, the main focus in life should be how, after I'm well, right? That whole premise of getting onto the plane. And if you, you know, something happens, you got to make sure your mask is on first before you can, the same premise goes here too, right? So once you're well, how can you make this community, this space, your other people better? Because you have so much to give because you're good, right? Um, Those are the two biggest things for me in, in thriving, because I think everything else follows after that. Everything else comes naturally. Um, bigger and better way than you could have ever imagined before you, you entered this traumatic experience. And then, you know, directly after you came out of it, I think those are the two things for me. It may mean something to, it may, the two biggest things for another survivor, maybe something else, but that, those are the two biggest things for me. So I'm resonating because Hillary and I, we speak about this a lot with, in terms of identity and yeah. are the experiences our identity or do we hold, I mean, experiences happen to us. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that experience becomes our identity, which is what you are just sharing with us is, wait, there there are still these, what we call Hillary, I want you to take over that these virtues that define who we've always been no matter what, right? Yeah. Um, And I just, what a great example of that. No, it truly is because you are the sir thriving yes. that you do. I know. I love it. I love your, your new words. I'm like, Ooh, I love that. I have to, but it's so fascinating to me because, um, I think that we're, we get labeled these things. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm a survivor. I'm a, this, I'm a, that I'm a, whatever, but no, you always were a woman mm-hmm. of excellence, of compassion, mm-hmm. of service. And when you got to a point where you were safe, you were able to take those pieces of your heart of who you truly were. The others were experiences, right? Mm -hmm. But the rest of it, of who you truly were and bring that out to the world. And Mm -hmm. I I mean, I do, I want to focus on that service for a minute because I do think that our purpose is to be of purpose. Mm -hmm. And for those of us who are listening to you and resonating with, okay, I want to do something. I want to move forward. Can you start by first maybe giving us an idea if we are not, if we're, if we are lucky enough to have not found ourselves in a situation of domestic violence or being born into a situation of, of those um, adverse childhood traumas, 
how can we start to see the signs around us where we might need to intervene and, and help someone up mm-hmm. to be an upstander? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so, you know, a lot, I'll, I'll, I want to say this before we even go there, right? Is that a lot of the times you hear these stories um, of abuse playing out on the news or you read a newspaper um, and you hear, you know, the neighbors say, I, I, I never knew anything like that was happening. I just don't understand. They seem like such a nice family, such a nice couple. Um, and that may be the case. I'm not going to, you know, be naive to the fact that houses may be so far apart, you know, in a particular neighborhood that you will not hear something that you will not see the person's expressions when they come out to their cars in their driveway um, because you're too far away. I'm not naive to that, but, you know, on a common level, right, that, you know, in neighborhoods where it's, you know, thickly settled, um, you know, you do often see your neighbors a lot and you do sort of run into them one way or the other, whether it's on the sidewalk on, on, or, you know, saying hi to each other in the driveway. And with that, there are little things that, you know, you can pick up on uh, that can tell you that something is amiss um, with this particular person. So, you know, they're more anxious, they are more agitated. And I'm, I'm relating this to emotional abuse and sometimes even obviously physical abuse. So, um, you know, they're agitated, they're more anxious um, than they were prior. Um, they remark to you that I haven't been sleeping well. And you, you're now coupling that with, you know, an argument that they you know, divulge to you between them and their spouse and their partner. Um, they've started drinking a lot. Um, you're realizing they're, you know, dousing the wine way more than they typically would from before. Um, they are often apologetic about, um, you know, simple things, right? That you don't have, and you, you find yourself saying to this person, you don't have to apologize for this. Mm-hmm. You don't, like, I understand it wasn't your fault. Um, lack of interest and I, 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 lack of interest in activities. So as it relates to a teenager, maybe you have a teen in your, in your, in your presence and the same thing. So all of a sudden the things that they used to like to do, they don't want to do it anymore. If you have a friend um, that, you know, you used to love to go bowling with, I'm just throwing that out there. Right. And all of a sudden it's like, I can't, go. And so it's not necessarily a lack of interest, but it may be that they can't go. Well, you, you don't want to necessarily pry, but you do want to figure out or ask a question once um, and try to see if you can get an answer. Um, They may be fearful, more fearful of just, you know, coming out or speaking on the phone for too long with you. Your conversations used to be 15 minutes. Now it's three minutes and it's like, I got to go. I got to go. I can't um, talk any longer. You need to question those things. Mm -hmm. Um, Talking about you know, taking their life. And this is on the extreme, but, you know, it can be, you know, I just, I can't, I can't do this thing anymore. What does that mean? You know, I need, I want you to keep talking. Even if you don't want to talk to me, talk to somebody else. I'll give you a number. There's many suicide hotlines that exist, but again, all these little things that you think are like, "Eh." but again, if they're in an intimate relationship and you, I mean, you almost have to have your guard up all the time, right? It's not dismissing it as Bob is a really nice guy. And I knew he would, I know he would never do anything to Nancy, right? You can't just, you mm-hmm. can't just dismiss these things because 
perpetrators often present very well. They are almost Jock the Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They want people to like them. They're very charismatic. They're very, you know, very perfect or want to be perfect, be seen as perfect all the time. Um, they want to seem like the articulate, smart person. You know, so if you're out to dinner with, you know, a couple and, you know, you realize he's talking over her, she's not being, you know, allowed to answer. She's getting up and going to the bathroom randomly. You know, you want to join her. Is something wrong? I mean, is there something that I can help with? Because that's a private moment, right? That's a moment that you can talk to someone by themselves. So I may be given a whole lot here, but, you know, just picking yeah. up on cues not and not dismissing them, following your gut instinct, you know, the same goes for people that are in these relationships. They may not pick up on the cues and not trust their gut instincts, but they're yelling at you, right? Yeah. Same thing for you as a friend. Um, and if you're not a friend, if it's somebody that, you know, you don't know, you're walking in the grocery store, you're in the parking lot, you're driving by in the car next to you. There are still things that you can do as a, as a stranger, right? So you notice that there's yelling in the other aisle of the grocery store. You want to get details about that person and, mm. you know, maybe not go and intervene because I typically, and people in this space often dissuade against that because you don't know if you go and physically intervene. It's funny because I do workshops for high schoolers, um, college um, um, uh, students, and you know people that work in corporations. Oftentimes, when I talk about this upstander approach to um, college students and or high schoolers, I say, you know, what, what would you do if you saw something in a grocery store happening, or you know, in the neighborhood where you live, where somebody's being accosted by their partner or their spouse? What would you do physically? And they say, you know, I'll, I'd go jump the guy and I, you know, beat him up. And, and oftentimes that's not what you want to do. A, because you don't know what that person has on their person. It could be a knife. It could be a gun. You get hurt and the victim goes home with their abuser. That's not what you want. Um, it may be that you yell and you argue with the person that is doing the perpetrating. And it's because, okay, they argue back with you, but guess who's going home with the abuser? the victim. Nothing's changed. Um, and if anything, you've made it worse for the victim because you're now, you're now telling the victim goes home with him or her and they're saying they're blaming the victim. You made that attention come my way. You are the one that caused that. If you had just listened to me, this wouldn't have happened. And so things are just entirely worse. So as a stranger, you want to get as much details as you can about what you see happening, what you know not to be normal, what you know to be an argument, what you know to potentially become physical, and call 911 every single time. You want to get a license plate, maybe follow them out into the parking lot if you got time, right? Um, get the license plate, the color of the car, um, what the what the victim is potentially wearing and the abuser's wearing. Get all those details because victims often will not pick up the phone and call police. Mm. Even if, it, if it's your friend, they will not call police. Um, and you don't have to call and give a name. You can call anonymously and say, this is what I saw. This is what I heard next door. Mm. Um, and get a report on the books because oftentimes the police will not know anything and nothing can be done about anything. Um, your report might be the only thing that gets them there and have you know, some inkling that everything is not well at 112 Summer Street. Um, so always, always calling the police. And I hope that helps. I hope that oh, answers you. For sure. That, that was so, I mean, I, I really appreciate those details. And I'm reminded um, there's a, a self-protection program, uh, Wise Escapes Empowerment, and the difference between self-protection and self-defense. 
And that yep. what, what I'm really seeing in terms of you say something about good, caring neighbors mm-hmm. and actually engaging in yes. looking like I, for some reason, I feel like our society is to protect and defend myself is to isolate. Mm-hmm. This is, it's yes. easier to protect this one cup right. than this entire office. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, yes. when you can look up and you say, good morning, you, you say, good morning mm-hmm. and acknowledge, I see you, I see mm-hmm. everyone here. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more visible you are mm-hmm. and the more that you create a sense of community and, and perhaps even good neighbors, yeah. Yeah. then you are doing your part in self-protection um, and that's when oh, I was trained too. when you go into like a liquor store, it's not looking down and like, mm-hmm. please don't look at me, I, but looking up and saying, I see you, I see you, mm-hmm. I see yes. you. And they're yes. less, so hoping, like when you say observe, get all the details, let them know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're making a, I see the scene. I see. Yes. And then yes. you don't, don't want to get into that conflict, right? Mm-hmm. You want to confrontation. And, yeah. And getting all that information. So that's, you know, that's really, really helpful. And Ultimately, I'm thinking about my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like, what mm-hmm. am I doing as an upstander to create that that safer? Mm-hmm. Not, there's nothing exactly. 100%. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't take a whole lot, right, guys? And you know, may not it it may not ever get to the point where you need to call, you know, the police or nine one one, right? Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's being, um, uh, you know, taking a step back and realizing that you know, you, your community does not have resources. You may not have known resource about resources in your area until this talk, right? But now how can I find out what is the nearest DV agency in my area? How can I get some maybe flyers for the, you know, um, the neighborhood library to put up? Mm-hmm. um about what the services that they offer um you know a, um, a public bathroom that you can put in on the stall it may get torn down but hey it may be there for the next person that may need to see that on the bathroom stall one of the um uh, um corporations that i recently spoke for in minnesota um dedicated commercial recovery they invited me to come speak to their to their to their company but even prior to that they had um let me know that some staff were they were experiencing domestic violence and it so everything was very timely and um, one of the things that I had suggested to them was that was letting your employees know that you care about them and this issue and not saying a word to do so and they easily could do that by putting up a domestic violence resource in the bathroom stalls that people could see when I visited the company to, to do the talk I went into the bathroom to change off my shoes after I was done there was the flyer. Mm-hmm. I mean, blew me away because that was a simple initiative that they took based on the recommendation to let their employees know that A, you're not alone. B, mm-hmm. it's safe to come talk to us. You're, you know, you're not going to be singled out, but, but you they didn't have to say anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they went the extra mile and invited me to come speak to the entire staff. But again, I mean, it does not take much in your community, in a company, um, to be proactive around this issue and to let people know that you care. Laverne, I know there are our listeners and our viewers out there are going to want to know, how do I bring Laverne into my company? How do I get a hold of the book? How can I learn more individually? How can our, our people, our community, our peeps out there get a hold of you and explore more about who you are and what you do? 
Yeah, absolutely. And so our foundation is called Love Life Now Foundation. And on the web, you can find everything about me, including a link to the book um, under the booking page um, at lovelifenow.org. That's L-O-V-E-L-I-F-E dot, I'm sorry, I can't even spell today. L-O-V-E-L-I-F-E-N-O-W dot O-R-G. And you can find a link to the book. But if you want to go specifically to the book, um, it is thelegacyheleftme.com. Again, thelegacyheleftme.com. And if you just Google it, it will pop up. So um, yeah, you can find out about bringing me into your space to do a DV workshop. They're usually between 60 to 90 minutes, but we can tailor it to whatever works. And, you know, again, we are all about education around these issues, um, not just through initiatives in the community, but again, through these works, these educational workshops that again, begin to plant the seed about the ways that you can be part of the solution. Wow. Just so grateful. So grateful that you're advocating for so many people that you are bringing domestic violence out and in the face of society, that this is not a, a hidden issue. This is in our faces and we can yeah. do something about it and act on it on a daily basis. On a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would love if you guys could, you know, and I could send this to you later on as well, but, you know, to include um, some of the signs about or the red flags about what this issue, since we talked about this during this episode, because oftentimes people don't know, people often think this issue as physical, they mm. don't understand that it is emotional, and there are verbal cues that you can pick up on um, if you're involved in a relationship like that. So I would love for you guys to include that if possible at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know our people are going to love it. And I want to celebrate so much your resilience mm. and your perseverance. And then again, your commitment and, and your ability to give back and be of service. I, you truly are showing up Laverne with love first, um, <laughs> just like in your name. And so we are so grateful. And I want to thank you for joining us and thank our viewers and our listeners for joining us again. We know that you have found something that is going to inspire you today and that you will take further action. So don't forget to just subscribe YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I can talk yeah, to you. Yeah. Spotify, <laughs> that thing. Um, and, you know, Instagram, Facebook, all of those things. But until next time, may you find the courage to live with a decided heart anchored by self-discovery, high trust relationships, and a sense of belonging. Thanks, Laverne. Thank you.